0: Hi, welcome to the Biffa Podcast, the show from the British Independent Film Awards that brings together two artists from the filmmaking community for a conversation about how film has shaped their lives. In this episode, actors Romola Garay and Alex Sakurianu got together to talk about their journeys through cinema, which led them to work together on Amulet, Romola's debut feature as writer and director. Out in cinemas now, Amulet stars Alec as Thomas an ex-soldier who returns from a foreign conflict and finds himself living in strained circumstances. Haunted by his past, he's offered a place to stay in a decaying, claustrophobic house inhabited by an enigmatic young woman and her dying mother. As he starts to fall for his new companion, he can't ignore his suspicion that something insidious might also be living alongside them. In the early 2000s, Romler secured Biffa nominations for most promising newcomer for her work in I Capture the Castle, and Best Supporting Actress for Inside I'm Dancing. And since then, she's appeared in Amazing Grace, The Crimson Petal and the White, Atonement, and loads more. However, with Amulet, she's behind the camera, showcasing her skills as a writer and director. And in front of that camera is Alec, who broke out in 2017 as Georgi in the wonderful God's Own Country, and who's since been seen in the hit BBC show Baptiste and last year's acclaimed release Ammonite. In this podcast, Romola and Alec explore how the magic of cinema can actually be ruined by turning up on set, the trust they built between each other, and how Alec accidentally became an Arnold Schwarzenegger expert.
1: Hey Alec.
0: Hey Rom.
1: (laughs) How are you doing, man?
2: I'm all right, I guess. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm all right. I'm very excited that something that I thought was maybe just something that I dreamt (laughs) is actually happening. Like, my film is coming out. Yeah, our film.
2: It's been a while.
1: It's been a while. And I was a bit worried that maybe it was something that had only happened in my (laughs) my imagination.
2: (laughs) It is a bit surreal, isn't it? I mean, I think that last time we saw each other was... 2 years ago?
1: Yeah, it was that long ago. It was yeah. that
2: long ago, Sundance. It's been already 2 years since we premiered.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe we should just roll with it and like actually just release the film when we're 80 and mm-hmm. like <laughs> and be like, "What do you think about the film now? Now that yeah. there's been 50 years of a gap?" <laughs>
2: I've always said myself if you can really discover film gems after years and years not knowing anything about them and just discover them after 15 or 20 years and become a hit. I don't think it's our case, but still, how yeah. would it be, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it'd be cool. I mean, actually, it's been quite nice because I haven't seen the film in a really long time. And then it was at Fright Fest in October. And so I was able to see it on a really big screen, actually, with a really, really long gap. And Mm -hmm. that was actually okay. Because, you know, obviously you have much, much more distance. And I was like, oh, this is a pretty good movie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It kind of changes the attitude that you have towards a film that you've made when the time passes. I mean, when you're doing the editing and all that stuff, you're quite into the film. And once you get rid of it, you just let it there for a for a while and go back to it and see if it still stands, if it's still yours, if it's still the same.
1: Yeah, well, somebody said to me the other day that some directors shoot the film and then wait six months and don't cut anything for six months because hmm. they just need six months to think about it. So I think... That sounds great. I don't know if I'm gonna <laughs> ever going to be able to do that.
2: Can but. you afford do the you, luxury of staying just yeah, for six, six months? Yeah, six months
1: just thinking. Yeah. yeah. Of course, I wouldn't be doing any thinking. I'd just be like taking people to school and doing <laughs> washing and like, I wouldn't be thinking about the film.
2: Just life will take over.
1: Yeah, yeah, life would take over. So, man, what's your relationship with that? Do you ever go back and watch things that you've acted in?
2: I only recently started to do that because once I've done a film, it's really, really hard for me to just to see myself because I have different cues. You know what I'm talking about? When you see a scene, you think about, oh, that was that day when we shot yeah, this scene. I was and cold. This. Usually, yeah. I'm thinking I was cold.
1: That's that's my number one thought when I watch myself on screen. Yeah.
2: Yeah. This is a big issue when you're, you're when you're filming in England or London yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice when you come back to a film after years or so and discover it once more and being able to see it with a fresh view and to realize that it's a film that stands on its own and it's not really that big a deal that you, I don't know... uh, it kind of transcends the things that you think about the film because you were so involved in it and you have different ways of seeing it but it's nice to see when a film stands on its own how did you get into cinema how i i know that you you started to act quite early in your in your life and how was that.
1: If people ever want to know like, how to get into the industry, which I'm sure you get asked all the time as well, I, just not, I have nothing helpful to say about that because I did do some acting at school and I was in this thing, the National Youth Theatre, it's like a youth theatre group, but I never did any shows with them, I only ever did the introductory course. But I was doing my A-levels, which is like the last few years of school. So I was like 16, 17, and there was an open audition for something, which then I was recommended for by the teacher at the school. And I went along, and I got the job, and then I got an agent. And this agent then just kept calling me and I was like, who is this? (laughs) What does she want? And she was like, so you've got a meeting on Thursday. You know, this was years ago back when you would go and actually meet the director. And I'd be like, what? All right, fine. (laughs) I had no real sort of interest in it particularly. And then I started getting proper jobs, acting in TV things. And that sort of enabled me to leave. I was doing, I was in uni by then, but I, I was able to leave and pursue a career as an actor. But I think that that start was not always the best because it's always made me quite ambivalent about acting because it wasn't something I really pursued. And so I think I'm still probably a like really terrible client for my agent because <laughs> every job I'm like, oh, what? All right. Fine. <laughs> you know, like, okay. I mean, yeah, all right. I mean, sometimes I get really, really excited about things, but there is always a part of me that's like, or I could just do nothing. That would also be all right. What about you?
2: For me, I used to be a dancer before I was an actor and I did that despite what my parents thought about that and I was supposed to be an engineer. My brother was supposed to be an engineer but I really wanted to do this because I loved the adrenaline rush that comes into you when you're on stage. I just wanted to be part of those stories that I was seeing on the TV and on a telly and in cinema and I wanted to see how that's done. It's strange because once... You start to do them. It's all the magic is gone somehow. I don't know if you felt that, but the first time I was on a set is like it, it was all ruined for me yeah. as a kid. That whole
1: the magic of it. That
2: whole magic that I had yeah. in my head. Uh, I, I was imagining that actors are the characters and they stay all the time in the characters, and the and the crew is like hiding behind all, and so so the actors wouldn't see them. So. All that magic was gone. I was around seven or eight years old when I was on my first movie set and and it was just gone. Yeah. Yeah, I feel quite
1: sorry for child actors in that way because at least I had my childhood relationship with films completely preserved. And like you say, you are just, as far as you're concerned as a child, what's happening is essentially real. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I feel really bad because the other day I said to my daughter something about somebody was shot on screen. And she was like, "Was that guy really shot?" <laughs> you know, and I was like, "No, I mean it's an actor. You go like this. Uh, 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 you they have this blood which is like made of sugar." And actually, she was quite disappointed. <laughs> of course, <you> know? <laughs> of course, you are. Yeah. Do you
2: remember your first film that you've seen on on the big screen?
1: I think probably one of the first things I ever saw on screen was Pocahontas.
2: Oh, which right. was
1: like a Disney movie yeah, yeah, that yeah. came out. Yeah, when I was what six seven mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. like that it's really dated now for lots of reasons particularly because of people quite rightly finding ways to be a bit more truthful about the relationship between the british colonizers and
2: yeah, some the indigenous
1: population of america some films uh,
2: didn't age well didn't they? yeah so there's
1: an aspect <laughs> of that that's complex but th- but the film also had this kind of quite strong environmental message about pocahontas being very much in touch with the landscape and there's really beautiful animation mm-hmm. in it and like some amazing songs And I wept very intensely, wept all the way through the film. It touched something sort of very deep inside six or seven year old Romola. And I was in this little cinema in Chippenham, which is a small town in the West Country where I'm from. And I think I vaguely remember my mum being like, "Are you okay? Are we going to have to leave?" Because I was just shaking, shaking with sobs. I found it like really transcendently affecting. I think that was probably one of the first films I ever saw. What about you?
2: They were so immersive when we were kids, weren't they? Yeah. I, I had quite a similar experience. I mean, my mom took me to a film, a French film, called The Bear, Louvre. And I do remember, I mean, I, I think I was like five or six years old, and the story it's about these two hunters that uh, are chasing a wolf in France in the mountains somewhere. I do remember... It was one of the final scenes. It, it's a spoiler if someone hasn't seen the film. But the hunter tries to kill the bear, the cop. And I was totally devastated. And I just stand up in the middle of the hall and started to yell at the hunter. Just please don't kill him. Don't, don't. And my mom was, oh my God, are you okay? He's not going to kill him. Yes, he is. He's going to kill him. And I do, I mean, that experience marked me for life and only now i understand how immersive and how much the films do matter for kids and for young audience because it's not only a make-believe it's reality that's happening yeah. in front of their eyes funny story years later i think through four or five years ago i worked on a bbc project uh, called uh, baptist and i got to work with the hunter With the the actor that played the hunter in that film, he's a Belgian actor. His name is Cechi Carrillo. I told him this story and he was quite impressed. I mean, after 30 years, to meet that guy that I first saw on screen and be able to act with that guy and talk to him was quite, yeah.
1: That actor probably never thinks about that piece of work. It happened like this years and years ago. And then there's somebody who comes to you with a part of their childhood something that is just absolutely entirely central to who you've become as a person you're like you made that (laughs) you know like that's extraordinary
2: Uh, apparently our job is much more important than (laughs) we like to think sometimes you know
1: (laughs) yeah and you don't know you don't know what's gonna affect people and make a piece of work you think is going to be really important and nobody cares you Mm -hmm. know and you make a piece of work you think that doesn't really that didn't really mean very much to me i did it because it was filming just down the road you know and then it's like really significant (laughs) for another yeah another person so where were you when you saw the bear what cinema were you well
2: it was a cinema that is it's It was in Bucharest. The cinema is closed now for years. I think for 20 years it's closed. And it's tragic what's happening in Romania with the cinemas. I mean, all of the cinemas that I used to went to as I grew up as a teenager and they're now just not working. There are stores like Tesco now opened or I don't know, bars or clubs or whatever. So basically we have only cinemas in shopping malls and that's a bit tragic. I moved onto a street 3 years ago that I used to went when I was in high school. They had like four cinemas on the same street and I used to skip classes and go to the cinema and see whatever was on on Thursdays because on Thursdays was gym. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it was uh, they had like a discount for students and yeah. Uh, yeah, and, for students. Yeah, okay. yeah, and uh, yeah. every single Thursday I skipped school and went with some friends to see a film and we had like four cinemas to choose from and now they're all closed. And it's quite tragic. For me, cinema altogether was an experience because you had to get out of the house, go there, buy tickets, spend some mm. time with our friends, discuss about the film afterwards. And it was a whole process that... And it still is a, a very important And you weren't process.
1: always choosing what you yeah. were going to see. Because yeah. you were just like, well, what's on? My local sort of cinemas or the times that I went to cinemas were all in the West Country in the UK. And we often would go to like Bath or Swindon, which were towns in the West of England. But you'd be like, well, what's on at two? Mm-hmm. And it would be like, I don't know, speed. And you'd be like, well, okay, let's go and see that. <laughs>
2: How did you grow up with your family watching films? Did you choose your films? Did you watch whatever was on the telly?
1: So my parents were quite improving. They're quite cultured. So we had a really small television. It's a joke in our family. Our television, and you know, we had a VHS player. Uh, Our television was the size of a laptop screen. And so you couldn't see anything. If you wanted to watch television, you had to be like, inches away from the screen but you
2: weren't allowed to be inches because you would bl- you yeah would yeah because you'd be sit on the sofa
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> get your butt on the sofa hurt and then you your can eyes. see anything of course now i'm that awful person who's like your eyes are going to be square but there were very few films that we had as a family that we were allowed to watch but some of them had a massive impact on me we had the dark crystal did you ever see that when you were growing up? And this film, The Last Unicorn, mm. which is a, a, an amazing animation. And those films are quite dark and they have quite a strong sort of fantasy element to them. They were really good. But yeah, I wasn't watching loads of TV and certainly not lots of films because we had four VHSs. But that I think that meant that when I was a teenager, I just wanted to see Trash. I went right the other way because my parents were always trying to take me to the theatre and art galleries, which is just awful. As soon as I hit 11, 12, I was just watching Junk, basically. That's all I wanted to see. I had a few boyfriends who were like, much much more cultured and then I had to sort of go back to, to this awful state of being again like return to the state where you would go to the cinema to go and see something that would sort of challenge and improve you like a Michael Haneke film or something and I, mm. I think you know when I was sort of in my early 20s I was still thinking like oh the Matrix is on I'm going to see that you know <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. now that? of I course totally I've got co- <laughs> yeah now I've come to a full, full circle and now of course I'm pressing copies of Studio Ghibli films my neighbour trotter and stuff into my st- children's hands and they're like i just want to watch pokemon what's wrong with you you know like so i've come i've come all the way around what about you
2: as i grew up i was watching whatever was on tv but it's strange because romania in the 90s was quite wild because before the 90s we didn't have a proper cinema it was a lot of censorship and uh, we didn't get those american blockbusters and i think In Romania, before the 90s and after early 90s, there was a lot of piracy with the VHS tapes and people, it was like this... People uh, passing them around. Yes, people passing them around. Not a lot of people had uh, video players at home, so people would gather in someone's living room just to see a... Kung Fu Warshall <laughs> Film, you know. So it, it, it was an experience altogether, you know. Yeah. And uh, there were not a lot of films that I I saw as I grew up. Like important films, but I've seen whole kung fu and action films yeah. and I was watching the other day an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and I realized that I've seen all of his movies. <laughs> I didn't want to but I've seen all I'm of his movies.
1: I'm an expert you know? on Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> apparently. <laughs> so, uh, you didn't get to choose. It was only, I mean, what was on and even in the cinema it was what And what was your friends
1: on. wanted to watch. And Yeah,
2: I got to see a lot of junk but also i got to see a lot of films that were out of this world yeah those were the films that made yourself ask some questions i mean okay, so you can do films like this. I've never seen a film like this. I've never seen a, an actor do stuff like that. And it's intriguing because you sometimes you get a feeling that you've been lied your whole life, you know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this was here. Yeah. If you had to point, pinpoint a moment where you saw a piece of cinema as opposed to like a film, and, that, mm. and you were able to sort of see that there was this like extraordinary wealth of history, what, what would you... I like? think...
2: I was in my teenage years when I first saw Space Odyssey, 2001. And mm-hmm. that basically blew my mind because I've, I, by that point, I've seen a lot of sci-fi movies, but nothing was like this. Yeah. These long shots and this beautiful way of filming it. And it was slow burning somehow. And it's, it was not like an action sci-fi movie that I was used to and then I realized... Full of mystery. Yeah, yes. That blew my mind at that point and I was like, I don't know, 17 or 18 or something and I realized at that point that there are so many films that I haven't seen and that I should see and still I think that and it's, sometimes it's discouraging because you realize how many things you don't know. Oh about. yeah, it's
1: endless. yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. if you haven't studied film, I think that's the other thing. I read literature at university. I didn't study film. so then the sort of journey to becoming a director, like writing for screen and becoming a director, I had to go on this Odyssey of self-education, but it, bec- it is just endless. And you get to a stage where you think, oh, I'm quite knowledgeable. And then you'll meet someone. I was talking to the French director, Lucille Hadzahala last year, because I worked with her on a film that she made. And then she sort of reels off a list of like five or ten films that you've never even heard of. You know, you think, yeah. oh, I've got to a stage where I thought I was doing quite well. And then you realise, you know, that you're still just paddling in the shallows.
2: Yeah. What was your film that, I, I don't know, a film that you would have loved to be a part of? of I mean to be able to act in it or direct it or whatever just be there
1: I think well it's hard isn't it because if a film's really perfect then you think well if I was in it I'd probably have ruined it <laughs> like, but, you know, like, but but I definitely had a film that I saw when I was a teenager that made me feel very differently about film I think and maybe appreciate and understand what it could be and that was Sally Potter's Orlando mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Like, really famous British film. And there was... It was completely different than anything else I'd ever seen. It's told in a sort of linear, but... sort of a historical film, but each episode is, like... A, almost a hundred years apart. Mm-hmm. And it's one character moving through history based on Orlando by uh, Virginia Woolf. But she changes sex halfway through the film. So at the beginning of the film, it's a man and then it becomes a woman halfway through the film. So it breaks its relationship with reality mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. early on. It's also incredibly beautiful to look at and it's very funny. It's sort of slyly funny. And It's important to
2: a film to be funny, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think particularly at that age, when you're yeah. a teenager, you don't want to be bored, you mm-hmm. know? It's funny and it's romantic as well, actually. It's a romance, essentially. But I think that that film, because it doesn't have a really close relationship with what, what would really happen, has these big gaps in time and characters being male and then female. I suddenly, I think I was like, oh, oh, right, oh, okay, there aren't rules. Mm-hmm. There are no. Mm-hmm. There aren't really rules, you know? And there are some people who really just run with that. And I think the films that I had seen and enjoyed up to that point had rules. A lot of them were ludicrous. Well, the bus is going to explode, you know, but sensibly it was reality. And I think that that was something that really, really changed for me in seeing that film. Do you have a favourite director of all time? Like of all
2: time? I'm, I'm, there are a lot of directors that I've followed their work and they're doing a great job. I, I don't know. I, I mean... I was thinking about it for this interview. I mean, what directors do I love? What and I.
1: I mean, sometimes I feel like there are films that I love more than direct. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and a whole director's body of work can be difficult, can't it? Because you're like, well, I really like that movie, but that one's not so good.
2: Yeah, yeah, but but it makes sense because as a director, if you assume like you are a director, you're still experimenting. You're still trying different roads, different storytelling, different stories, and. uh, I think one of the director that really blew my mind when as I grew up was uh, Martin Scorsese because that world that he was showing in in uh, I don't know Goodfellows and Casino and it was so far away from me but I was fascinated by it it was very raw and yeah. all the people were I'm naming them people because they were like people yeah, the they actors were like were, real, yeah. were incredible they were like yeah. uh, you couldn't feel they were acting they were just being there and uh, that whole rage they had in them and they were very unpredictable and it was first time I realized that uh, uh, I felt like there was no recipe in it there was a mm-hmm. new recipe as you said they kind of broke the rules yeah. And that impressed me. What he's done, and the the fact that it seemed so far away because I was in Romania, and that word seemed like, I don't know, from a different galaxy, you know. Yeah. Later on the Quentin Tarantino movies I love them and uh, I was just zapping on my telly the other day and Jackie Brown was on and yeah, I just every yeah. time I see that film I like I cannot stop it I have to see yeah. it till the end I think that is one of my favourite films from Quentin Tarantino I not think Even I've th-
1: seen that since it came out actually I, watch you have,
2: again. I mean yeah. if, you, if you ever have the time just go back to it because it's like uh, it has this very strong central female Character. What about you? I mean, what what directors?
1: Probably Kubrick. Kubrick I mean, yeah. 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 I think I saw Clockwork Orange, which we had on on VHS. Mm. My brother. My brother. Let <laughs> me watch it. I was like fourteen or something. And I was really shocked, really, yeah. really shocked by yeah. it and very conflicted about whether the, 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 the everything that I'd seen up to that point, the films had an obvious morality to mm-hmm. them. You know, there was good, there was evil, they were at war with each other and evil was always bested in the end. So I think to see a film that had no morality or no sort of ostensible kind of view on morality was really shocking to mm-hmm. little Puritan Rumler and also the music obviously in that film and the costumes and it's just extraordinary powerful piece of work and then of course then I was able to kind of seek out his other films. And I think the thing about Kubrick particularly at that age, you know, when I then went back and watched The Shining and Barry Linden, which I didn't completely get, but like The Shining, I remember watching because I sort of deliberately went out of my way to see it. There was something about that film which I think on some level I understood that it was art. Its purpose wasn't just to entertain me. I got that and I got that there was somebody making work sort of for themselves. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm I I think I understood for the first time the concept of a filmmaker as opposed to just the film and me being the most important person in the experience because I was consuming the film. When I saw those films, I, I think I understood for the first time that there was another very important person, which was the artist... And that they were having a conversation with themselves, which I was allowed to be part of, but like it wasn't made for me to have a nice time. And that made a big impression on me. Yeah.
2: It's nice when a a film just contests what you think about the world and the reality, like you said uh, uh, about the clock orange. And I do remember seeing uh, for the first time the Truman Show and because we were talking about earlier about the Matrix and the Truman Show, and there are these kind of films that (laughs) kind of solves a problem that you've always asked yourself in a way... Is it true? Is it just uh, if I turn around, will I see the extras? Will I, will I see the cameras? I don't know, be able to breach through the matrix and see the real uh. stuff that we're made of. I've always been fascinated about these this topic worlds that are presented because you somehow spend some time thinking just before you go to sleep or I don't know, when you have a drink or whatever, you just... Have spend some time philosophing about what would it be to be like this and the alternative universes and stuff like that it's always to see like someone treating this subject on screen for me it's intriguing and i love that
1: yeah i mean particularly if you then end up becoming an actor and your reality and you end up becoming a part of someone else's imagination Mm -hmm. and the characters that you play. And also you have to empty yourself on occasion to absorb a different character. I think The Truman Show is obviously an amazing, powerful film for lots and lots of people, but for actors (laughs) particularly. Very powerful film because your relationship with reality can be so strange and blocked. I think also there was something... I got really into the Australian new wave with my sisters, only because I was talking about my brother earlier and him letting me watch Clockwork Orange. It made me think about Muriel's Wedding and the Strictly Borum. Muriel's Wedding is one of the funniest and most brilliant films ever made. And me and my sisters knew the entire script of the film off by heart you could fast forward the VHS to like any point yeah, yeah, and you would yeah, be yeah. able to kind of recite entire scenes of the film off by heart. And parts of the film became kind of catchphrases in our family. You're terrible, Muriel. Like that was <laughs> something that we would always say to each other. and And something about that film, which, again, made me realise that there was an artist, you know, like somebody at work behind the lens and actors in it is that I... I think I must have read an interview. It was maybe an Empire or something, because I, I bought Empire when I was a teenager sometimes, Ooh, which is absolutely. like, the, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I know. And, <laughs> Fancy. But I remember reading that it had taken 10 years to get it made or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was, what, I don't know, 15 or whatever at the time, and 10 years is like your, your whole life. What kind
2: of determination yeah. you have to have to wait 10 years for your film to be made?
1: Yeah, and the idea that the film that you'd watched that had taken two hours to make that you really enjoy mm-hmm. had been the product of someone's entire life—the mm-hmm. work, that the effort and love that mm-hmm. went into a piece of work like that—I think that must have been one of the first times I ever really realized that. Or there was a that.
2: film I think five or seven years ago called Boyhood with Ethan oh, yeah. Hawke that mm-hmm. took them I don't know fifteen years to make that film, yeah. and that's incredible. I mean. How can you engage with that film as an actor, knowing that you're going to do a project for 15 years and you have to take care of yourself and not die or yeah. something, you know? Yeah,
1: because you just ruin it. It's just, just a jet skiing accident, yeah. that's it, the film's ruined, yeah.
2: No, you're not allowed to die, you have a contract.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and also I think that working with children, you know, yeah. and seeing them change, I've definitely worked over the course of a film... With an actor whose voice has broken. Or, as you say, their experience. I had an amazing experience working with a young actress who was six. Mm -hmm. And she'd never done any acting before.
2: She was six. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know. Yeah. Slow start. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Get your acting here. And she came to set at the beginning and she really just didn't understand anything about acting or or the set or, or really what she was doing. So we would sit down and say, so... I'm going to walk into the room and I'm going to say this and you're very shocked by this information. Like, I have to explain everything. And over the course of the job, by the time it, she came in three months later, she was still the same age, you know, only three mm-hmm. months have passed. But she was like, um, is this going to be a shot where you move the camera between us? Or is it going to be a shot where it, I get a close-up and they get a close-up? I mean, that like, everything about the everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 everything yeah. about... I mean, she could have directed the show by mm-hmm. the end of it. And, and actually, it was interesting to see because it didn't really affect the way that she was... Acting because the beginning, I think, as far as she was concerned, everything that was happening between us was real, and then by the end of the job, she understood that it was faking it, but it was still good. What do you remember about acting when you were younger?
2: Well, I do remember struggling a lot with acting. When I was young, I used to participate in this school. I don't know stuff at the end of the year and I was always terrified that I would forget my lines or I would do something stupid and of course every single time happened and I do remember I think it was my first gig I was in fourth grade or something and I couldn't remember my lines and I could see dry like yeah yeah And I could see, like, the whole people there, parents and the teachers and all of them just watching me. And I was like, what am I supposed to say now? And the partners start to whisper, okay, this is your line. But I knew that wasn't the line, so I knew that much, not the right line. (laughs) And I do remember a teacher started to clap and all the people just started to clap. And I was like, why are you clapping? (laughs) Yeah, really doesn't. Have, doesn't help me. Doesn't yeah. really help me. And uh, yeah, that was terrifying as an actor. I still have nightmares about just uh, being on stage in a play that I don't know anything about, and yeah, all yeah. that stuff, and wake in the middle of the night. Or, What's the line? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's the sort of existential fear, isn't it? That's our sort of
2: shared fear. I mean, for me, every single job that I do in uh, acting job is terrifying in the beginning. Really, it's terrifying. And for me, the director is like the azimuth, the North Star that I'm following. And I really need to have a director to keep my feet down.
1: When we made I Aminit, mean, was it strange? Because I think you hadn't worked on a genre film before. I am neither. either. So that well, was even worse. <laughs> you're like, not only do I not know what I'm doing, I'm not sure she knows what you're doing either. <laughs> of
2: course, I mean, when I read your script, it was like nothing that I've read before. And I was very intrigued by it, and uh, I think we've met at the Royal Court first yeah, time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, after, uh, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. And after that, when we started working, we you invited me to your house, and that was really nice. And we started to develop that trust relationship because I think it's about trust. So once you know that you can trust that person that is behind the camera that is watching you all the time, and you being an actor, I learned a lot. From you, I mean, I learned that sometimes you have you just have to
1: complaining a lot of complaining. That's <laughs> the, sort of the factor I am. I don't want to
2: learn that. Yeah, but you're not the same when you're behind the camera. So you you kind of anticipated the, all the stuff that I, I might have done. I didn't complain that much. I you know.
1: put, you didn't complain at all. No, I was saying I was saying that you don't want to learn anything from me. I'm a very moody actor. So no, but
2: from you I learned that sometimes you just have to get on with it. I mean, just get on with it. We just have to do this. You you have to do this now and just do this how we discussed. And Because I was so terrified sometimes when we shot our film because there were a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And that's the beauty of it. Because it's so different from theater. And I've done a lot of theater be- before. And filming is so much different than theater. In theater, you have like two or three months in you, which prepare and you have an idea by the end of how it looks. But in the film, you you don't have that. So most of the stuff that you're doing, they're there. You're doing them for one time and that's it. So you don't get the chance to do them again and to do them, I don't know, maybe better or uh, I don't know, in another way to try something different
1: the circumstances of our shoot because it was you know we had to move really quickly all the time but also something that's really changed in me as an actor since I started directing is that I really realized that it is a complete act of trust I mean the film Mm -hmm. is completely made in the edit and all you can do is really present options to people and I think I definitely felt a strong need to try and have a sense of control or not even control because that sounds bad but am I doing it well am I doing it badly is it what they want I don't know like since I started directing I think I've, I've understood a lot more that actually you the director doesn't even know They don't know yet Mm -hmm. because it's not until you sit in the edit and look at everything that you even know whether you've got it or not. You can have decided the way you want to shoot a scene and then you get there on the day and you're like, it's not right. You know, we have to sort of change it or shift it around and like, Mm -hmm. you know, so all you can really do as an actor, I think, is trust and also give them different things and go... With that, but God, thank you so much, man, because you really, really threw yourself into a very intense experience. Doing no, thank our you. Film. It was an intense
2: yeah. experience, but as you said, it was about trust, and I totally trusted you. And uh, it's still about the journey, and the journey that we had doing amulets was really incredible. I mean, for me, it was the first time I've done tons of stuff on camera it's always nice to have a person you can trust when to throw yourself i don't know just in doing some stuff that you've never done and see how it how it will work out and just try to do your best and what you thought you and
1: probably won't ever do another film quite like this again like <laughs> i'm sure of that <laughs> i hope not jesus yeah
2: <laughs> when i was preparing for the
1: Oh yeah, you watch, lots of labors, watch you? a of labor. I've watched a lot of
2: labors and I've seen a lot of things that cannot be unseen after that. you just
1: think how ready you're gonna be, Alex. When you have a baby with someone, yeah. you're gonna be like, I know. it. You're moving into the second stage of labor. I know about this. I've and seen 8, Science is labor. going
2: now yeah. ahead of its time and you never know. Maybe I will have a baby sometime.
1: They'll be like, Well, you don't know, you're a guy, and you'll be like, No, I've had a baby. I've screen.
2: had I've had a demon yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do know It was a difficult transition for me because I think also there's an assumption I think when you're an actor turned director you're directing actors the way that you would want to be directed. Yeah. But of course actors are completely different <laughs> and what they want from a director is completely mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. So you know so I think when I'm acting I just want to be given all the information but then other actors are just completely different. I'm always like when's lunch? You know so Yeah, yeah when <laughs> it's lunch let's have lunch. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's strange method acting. I don't know how, how you do it because... I mean, I do know how you're doing. And and I think it's like about creating a bubble of your own in which you're not allowing yourself to be distracted. Some people of the crew come there to do their job and they don't really care if they're filming a film or a TV show or a commercial or or whatever. They mm -hmm. don't really care. It's like, okay, I'm doing my job. So you have to protect yourself from, I don't know, interacting with people that don't really care about what you're doing?
1: I mean, there are actors, they don't sort of stay in character all the time, but they do take it very seriously and they often will quite consciously sort of say, like, I need to have 20 minutes before I'm on stage, just go away and do my quiet thing but they do it quite privately I do get that and I think there's quite a big difference between that and mm-hmm. like those people who are like who need to tell everyone that they're method actors because they need to make it look harder so that they get extra brownie points yeah. <laughs> I'm <Like> always <yeah. everybody's laughs> like don't do that you know like be a method actor do whatever kind of acting that works for you you don't need to tell everybody
2: I was watching I think a year ago or something a documentary about Jim Carrey and how he prepared for Man on the Moon oh, the Man like, on the Moon yeah yeah mm-hmm. And, I mean, of course, it's cool what he's done. But as a colleague, I think it might have been quite difficult. Yeah, just really to difficult. I mean, yeah. really. I, I do get that you're doing your thing to be able to deliver. And I do get that. And I respect that. But in the same time, I don't know. Just leave me alone to do my thing. You no, know? It, it shuts it, off it, it the chance of any intrusive. collaboration. Yeah, you can't
1: yeah. collaborate with somebody who's in character all the time. Mm-hmm. Like you can't build the scene together. I think that must be really difficult for yeah. people. Have you worked with anyone who's like been in character like the entire time?
2: I've worked with people being in a character, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Not really the character in the film, you know. And I'm so agitated sometimes on on set. And I don't know, people just do strange stuff when they're set and especially actors. But I just, I don't know, if if it's not working, just leave me alone, you know. Do your stuff, I'll do my stuff. We don't have to be friends. We just have to be good colleagues. So if I respect your work, just respect mine. So if we have different methods, just, yeah. Okay, we'll meet on set and see how it goes. But just don't be intrusive. I do get that you you might feed yourself from this kind of stuff, but don't be intrusive.
1: I mean, I think it's interesting, like something I talk about sometimes with friends of mine who are actors is the whole th- idea, like, when you go on set, if you have to empty yourself in order to do the acting, like mm-hmm. you have to kind of absent yourself, sometimes this other version of yourself can, like... <laughs> He'll fill you up. Mm-hmm. This sounds so nuts. <laughs> you end up behaving in a way that isn't really like mm-hmm. who you are outside of work. And I sometimes feel like that has something to do with the just the weird act going to work and the job that you're paid for to do there to not be yourself Mm -hmm. to essentially allow something else enter you different mannerisms different words a different situation a different name to come in and take you over because yeah sometimes I think I find that really true that sometimes I get home at the end of the day or I look back on experience from years ago and I think god why was I behaving like that that's not at all like the way I am (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. yeah. you You wake up in the middle of
2: the night 2am why did I say that in 2007 (laughs) do you have like a film or an actor or a scene that you've seen in a film and you just blew your mind actor wise performing wise how did they manage to do that
1: i mean i really love juliette banache i think whenever i watch films with her and i always think oh why do i bother <laughs> <laughs> like, why am i doing yeah. it cachet i think it's one of my favorites films she's amazing in it there is that mixture of feelings when you're an actor isn't there because on the one hand you love and admire the work so much and then there's that feeling of like i don't think i've ever (laughs) got there yeah yeah i should quit i should start
2: something else when you don't know if you would ever get there and what yeah. kind of work you need to do to get there? I think I'm most impressed when I don't see the craft, when I see just them being real.
1: Being intensely vulnerable is so moving, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, What about you?
2: I was just thinking about Mary's story, the the film with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And, oh yeah, mm-hmm. and there are some scenes in there. I mean, I would love to be able just to go through that process of having the time to get there because sometimes you need time you need time with your partner just to build that and you need rehearsals and you need because that's not happening overnight that's not happening That like I don't know I know my lines you know your lines so just go with
1: it no and you need a lot of takes yes yes
2: yes and uh, I would love to have that luxury when you're on set to 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 be that I don't know relaxed but it's not it's you don't have to be comfortable, but you just have to create that, I don't know, that environment in which you can be creative and you can allow yourself to be vulnerable and trust your partner and see where it goes and let yourself be surprised of what's happening there.
1: So much of what defines us as people is this need to define ourselves to others, for others, be in control of how we're perceived. It takes so long to let that go, even a little bit. With theatre, if you have a big scene in a play, you might get two or three days to kind of allow all of your ego and your desire to be perceived and your desire to control the way that you're perceived, to allow allow it to all fall away. I have never been on a film where there was the sort of time or space to actually do that. Mm -hmm. But maybe... Maybe you could do that when you direct a film. When I direct a film, because you, I remember And we can that take like three
2: days it. for a scene or something. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was always asking myself if it's me or if it's the way that the the I don't know the environment that you're working in, and if I should step up my game or where should we meet to have that time to invest
1: if there's a scene where you're like I'm gonna need it you should ask for it I feel slightly more qualified to say this now that I have directed you need to tell somebody Mm -hmm. if you're like I want that Mm -hmm. I want that Mm -hmm. I mean I get that you're really busy but on this day when it comes to this can I please have 25 minutes to like shoot it and not Five minutes.
2: Sometimes actors don't know they have that power, you know?
1: Yeah, they don't. And (laughs) I I definitely didn't. Still still find it hard to do that, to say, please, actually, if you want what you're asking me to give, I'm going to need to have a little bit of space around that to do it. I think that's our... That's
2: our time. Yeah, my uh, yeah. my neighbours are renovating upstairs and I've asked them for an hour just to stop drilling. <laughs> they're, and are standing with knocking their drill. And they just, yeah, and the just knocking yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Classic.
1: Yeah, they're like, we've heard enough of this conversation. These guys <laughs> talking about their, their cinema, background cinema. All right, man. So nice to see you. It was you. so nice
2: to see you again. And we we should talk more often.
1: We should talk a, a lot more often. Yeah. And when are you are you going to be in London?
2: Hopefully this summer will be like a different kind of will summer. You come, will
1: you come and stay with
2: us? Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah, Can't yeah, wait to see your kids nice again. Seat. You should
0: come to Bucharest sometime.
1: I would love to come to Bucharest. That would be amazing.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Biffer Podcast. If you've not heard the show before, subscribe now and get the next episode straight away. If this is your first time, well, thanks for joining us. And make sure you scroll back in our feed to check out our back catalogue. We've got episodes with Harris Dickinson, Morvith Clark, Riz Ahmed, Daniel Mays, and loads more for you to catch up on. Thanks for listening. The Biffa Podcast is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. It's hosted by me, Jake Cunningham, and I'm one of the producers as well, along with Harold McShiel and Ellie Aitken. The show's edited by Content Is Queen.